In this video, we're going to be talking about integrity as loyalty to rational principles from Chapter 8 of Leonard Peikoff's book, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand. Stay tuned. All right, so let's start out with a summary of this section. So we begin with the fact that integrity says you can permit no breach between mind and body or between thought and action. And Leonard observes that we don't flout perceptual knowledge, like people don't jump in front of a bus, but that that's not true with conceptual knowledge. And so what we don't do automatically is we don't form and apply principles automatically. And what integrity is singling out is that it's the principle of being principled. And so intellectually, it's that one should actively seek to form principles and that existentially, it's that one should take that into account when one acts, that you, you act on the basis of the rational principles you formed even in the face of temptation. And what we get is that most of the reason that people think integrity is impossible to practice consistently is because they have irrational principles that one can't act consistently on. And in particular, it's that temptation is inherent in any view that's upholding rational principles because they're in effect saying, choose between life, pleasure, happiness, and your principles. But that with a, if your principles are rational, then what you're doing is you're bringing into awareness, like these are the facts, this is what's actually going to allow me to achieve my life and happiness. And so there's no inherent conflict between what you should do and what you want to do. The A major attack on integrity then is the modern cult of compromise, which says that you should surrender moral principles in order not to go to extremes but principles are inescapable. And so when you surrender a good principle, when you compromise on a good principle, you're embracing an evil principle. And the, the whole nature of evil is not that it's so powerful that kind of one concession to it allows it to triumph. On the contrary, it's precisely that because that the good is powerful and the evil has to parasite on it. The good doesn't need any of the evil but the evil does need some of the good and so the power of the good is enormous but it comes from consistency to be good is to be consistently good and that's what's being carved out by the virtue of integrity and what we have in our culture then is a false alternative that's been offered to us between this idea that well religion has had a monopoly on principles and to be principled is to embrace things that are against life that are impractical that you can't do consistently and then a rejection of that that rejects not the dogmas of religion but principles as such and says no you need to be pragmatic you need to live by the seat of your pants we should be skeptical of any abstraction we should be skeptical of any principle and the bottom line leonard says is that the real solution is to reject both intrinsicism and subjectivism and in favor of objectivism, in favor of a true theory of concepts, an objective theory of concepts, and one that dismisses both of these false theories.
So as always with the virtues, let's do our MPI analysis. So the principle is loyalty to rational principles. The intellectual side of it is to form principles, to use your mind to grasp principles, to grasp cause and effect. And then existentially, it's to act on principles. The metaphysically given fact, then we can say, is it's the mind-body integration, but it's the mind-body integration from a certain perspective. It's thought-action integration. It's the integrity of thought and action. Thought exists for the sake of action, and action without thought is self-destructive. Now, we said earlier that if you find yourself thinking about the objectivist virtues in conventional terms, then you've almost certainly gone wrong. And so a good tip-off, I think, in this realm is what kind of examples come to mind when you're thinking of examples of integrity. And they shouldn't be somebody, they shouldn't only be somebody struggling to follow moral principles in the face of temptation. Usually those are the kinds of examples you get, but that that's definitely not the only thing that one should have under the umbrella of integrity. And there's two issues here that I want to discuss. So one is that integrity is wider than moral principles. And the other is that it isn't about, or it isn't only about, or isn't centrally even about adhering to principles in the face of temptation. So let's start out with integrity is wider than moral principles. Why is integrity an issue? Because if you think objectivism says the good is what's in your self-interest, and then why do we need to be, be making a big deal about, well, do what's in your self-interest? And the basic issue comes down to what we've been discussing since we discussed man's life as the standard, and even really further back than that, which is that we don't automatically know what's good for us, that what's actually good for human beings is a conceptual achievement. It is what we need principles for, that in order to project the long-range consequences of an action, in order to take into account all of the effects of an action throughout our lives, we need the guidance of principles. And this is why Leonard is stressing and making this point that people don't flout their perceptual knowledge, but your interests aren't perceptual that they have to, as we talked about, you have to conceptualize the requirements of human survival. And then why are you conceptualizing them? It's not so that you can write OPAR, although that's a great achievement. It's that then you can live by them. You can form principles and then you live by them. So we need, the basic issue is that a, the long range successful course of action, an action that leads to values can only be known through principles. So you have to grasp principles and apply them if you want to achieve values. And you need to apply them even in the face of the pressure not to, because part of what it means to say your interests aren't perceptual is to say that something that looks like a good idea might be a bad idea and something that looks like a bad idea might be a good idea. And that the default is, well, put it this way, uh, or I think it'll be helpful to just think of uh, some common kinds of examples of exactly this phenomenon. So you can have reached the conclusion, you could call it the principle, at least a principle of productivity, that um, 
checking email or social media in the morning is a bad idea because it puts you on other people's agenda. You're wasting some of your most productive, creative time. It's It can look like a value, like, yeah, I'm just going to check this and figure out what's going on. Maybe I, you know, an opportunity arose that I want to know about. But in the full context, it isn't. Or take exercising regularly. It can feel in the moment like a disvalue, like I'm tired, this is going to hurt. It, it's not going to make that much difference whether I do it in this particular case or not, um, particularly if you're just getting started, right? But if you look in the full context, it isn't a disvalue. It's actually achieving major positives in your life. Or somebody offers you, let's say, a significant amount of money. Let's say you are in marketing and it's here, help me promote an evil idea or a product that you regard as like worse than useless, like a real negative for the customer. And it's an apparent value, right? It's money. And what the, but in the full context, no, it's actually undermining the things you want in your life. And so what integrity is saying is keep the full context. Don't let the push or the pull of something out of context drive your decision making. Be focused on understanding the full context and the way we understand full context is through principles. And notice that it's principles. It's not just moral principles. So objectivism's view is you need to grasp cause and effect in every area where you're pursuing values. Economics, health, relationships, parenting, communication, wherever you're seeking values, you're trying to grasp causal connections, causal principles that are going to govern you to success towards achieving what you want to achieve in those realms. And the alternative is, yeah, that you're operating by the seat of your pants. You're operating in a case-by-case -case basis. You're going to end up reactive, putting out fires, rather than spearheading a course that is going to lead to the achievement of things that are actually good for your life. One way to think about it is that in our discussion of man's life, we discuss why one needs moral principles, that you need moral principles in order to conceptualize the requirements of human survival. And what integrity adds is that for the same reasons, you need to grasp and act on principles across the board. And that that can be hard, that that requires effort to, to grasp them. It requires effort to bring in the full context and that you will likely face temptation on occasion because the default is to see things out of context. And so some in the full context whenever you act. Now that said, to go to the next point that I wanted to mention, that integrity is not essentially or primarily an issue of adhering to your principles in the face of temptation. So I want to elaborate a little bit on that. So integrity, we said, it says that the path to values is through principles. And the way to think about temptation, I think, is that you have an apparent clash between values and principles. And the issue is not to resist temptation, but to resolve the clash. And a good illustration of this that I think Leonard mentions in passing is Reardon and Dagny. So Reardon has a real clash. It's his principles seem to tell him 
that it's wrong for him to start a relationship with Dagny. And yet he has this long running, recurrent, passionate desire for her. And that ultimately he gives into. And the advice is not, come on, reared and resist temptation. Stand by your principles. The advice is, no, it's that your principles are wrong. What you need to be doing is you need to be resolving that. And the whole issue of Atlas Shrugged is we see that's exactly what he does do. He can't resolve it right away. It's a long, hard battle. Um, but he's working to resolve the clash. He's working to restore his integrity, the integrity between his convictions and his actions. And so it's not that there's never a case where it's just like, I need to resist temptation because I'm experiencing an out of context emotion, but it's integrity is a virtue because if something really is a principle, then something at odds with it isn't actually a value. And so what I'm saying is the issue isn't follow your principles even when they seem to clash with what you want is it's that if you think about the meaning of integrity, it's really re working to restore integration, the unity of mind and body. And so your goal is not to steal yourself against an out of context emotion, but to restore the unity, to see the issue in its full context. And part of the issue in its full context is coming to grips with, is this really a value um, in the full context or is it not? Or the, to look at it the other way, is my principle really a principle and does it really apply this way or not? So do, do I have a wrong principle? Am I applying it in the wrong way? It's that you're resolving this clash. That's what you're striving to do, not by default siding with one or the other. And so often this will mean exerting the effort to make your conceptual knowledge real, to see an issue in its full context. And then you'll see that the thing that you thought was a value wasn't a real value but sometimes it's that what i'm highlighting is that sometimes no it is a real value and your principle is wrong so to take an example that's sort of like the dagny one but i think is i've heard it come out of the mouths of real objectivists in a way that the dagny reared in uh conflict hasn't there can be there's a view that some particularly younger objectivists will hold that something like well it's only moral to have sex with my ideal partner Right. So it's until I meet, you know, the the perfect love of my life that I'm committed to marrying. My philosophy tells me that sex is wrong. And in that kind of case, it's no, that's precisely where you'd think, yeah, that's not the right principle and certainly not the objectivist uh, perspective that they're taking there. Or you could think I'm on a diet and I have vowed not to have dessert or cake but you know what for my birthday my kid surprised me and baked a cake and now she's staring at me with big puppy dog eyes and then it's all right what am i supposed to do here and one thing you might think of is maybe the print maybe i got the principle formulated wrong maybe it's not never eat treats but i need some more sophisticated formulation that in effect allows me to make decisions such that um I'm able to enjoy the occasional special treat without compromising my health goals or my weight goals. And I'm not necessarily coming out in favor of exactly what the right health principle is, but the point is 
you want to formulate it in a way that's really leading you to values that's actually a principle that is going to get you what is genuinely good for you in the holistic sense in which objectivism thinks about the issue of what's good for you i do want to add a word on the issue of temptation well here's how leonard puts it he says a rational man may be tempted to take a wrong action by an out-of-context emotion. This is in no way immoral, so long as the individual does not act on the emotion, but looks at reality and summons the full context to consciousness, thereby reclaiming his knowledge of the action's harmful consequences. When a rational man thus reasserts the facts, the temptation vanishes, assuming he holds no subconscious contradiction in the issue. So I think that's profoundly important and profoundly insightful but i think there's a little bit more than i'm comfortable with packed into that parenthetical or rather here's an area where it's really important i think when implementing a philosophy to bring in the issue of psychology because one of the things psychology deals with is what you can think of as stubborn premises so if you take any form of obsessive compulsive behavior and i don't just mean like OCD is a diagnosis, but there's many kind of more subtle forms, but, or even take OCD. Um, you can have obsessive thoughts that basically tell that you experience as if I don't perform some ritual, like I need to touch a doorknob three times every time I enter or exit a room, something really bad is going to happen to me or somebody that I care about. And if you talk to people who have OCD, it, it's not that they really believe that in the sense of like they get that that's not true like they get that that's not uh a they're um they can get the way in which their behavior's not reasonable and yet the the emotional experience that is that knowledge rather no matter how hard how much they bring it to the forefront of their mind it doesn't change their experience that if i don't do this I'm going to be overwhelmed by anxiety and disaster is going to befall me. And so it's similar. You can think to addiction, many addicts, it's, they know that this is bad for them. And often it's, or even I don't get pleasure from my addiction anymore. There can be a real awareness of these things. And, and this is why even once addicts reach the point of asking for help, it's a real endeavor because that knowledge, it does not by itself eliminate the desire like the experience that this thing is a value even though intellectually i know to my core that it's not that's a persistent stubborn premise and so the principle leonard lays out is still true that your goal is and the principle of integrity is still right that your goal is to restore unity between mind and body between principles and values but how to do that is not easy and it's not the same as what an otherwise psychologically healthy person has to do when he experiences an out-of-context temptation. It's more than just reminding yourself of, oh, these are my principles, I can see the long-term course of action, and now this value doesn't, what I thought was a value doesn't have an appeal to me. If you struggle with th like these sorts of psychological issues, um, I mean, my basic view is that it's not 
you shouldn't see them primarily as moral issues. Like there can be moral feelings involved in various ways, often as kind of reinforcements or protections. So if you think about the addict, you could have a person who like is otherwise honest, but in conjunction with, you know, engaging or protecting their addiction, they'll lie in ways that they wouldn't lie otherwise. Um, and like, that's a problem. But if what you should think about these struggles with is more as these are psychological challenges. And what integrity demands is not just resist, damn you. What integrity says is learn and implement the principles, the relevant principles of psychology. And often that means see a damn psychologist. It's the, uh, so I think the, just to state it again, because this is a really important point um, that, you know, what, what morality demands, I think, in cases like that, where you're struggling with a real psychological challenge is integrity says, all right, set as your goal, restoring unity to the extent that's possible. And then the course of action is not kind of like blind resistance or even just like um, some form of willpower. That's not the right way to think about it. It's it's a commitment to gain the psychological knowledge that allows me to cope with a psychological challenge. So it's the principles you're looking for are not primarily going to be moral principles. It's primarily going to be psychological principles. Uh, and so that that's how I think about the issue of temptation. Some thoughts on compromise. So from the objectivist perspective, we get that we reject compromise on moral principles. And that's to be contrasted with compromise, you know, on a concrete where there's agreement on a principle and that, you know, the kind of quintessential example of that is you and I are barg bargaining over the price of a car that you want to sell me. And the issue with compromising on principles, so we talked about principles are grasps of cause and effect. And what a person who's compromising on a principle is actually doing is in effect trying to exempt themselves from cause and effect. They're trying to say, no, I'm able to get away without experiencing the effects uh, of the causes I'm enacting or um, trying to get effects without uh, enacting the relevant causes. And so it's an escape from cause and effect, or it's, an, it's a pretense that you can escape from cause and effect. And notice that that's why objectivism does not have a problem with compromising within a moral principle, because there's no issue of trying to escape cause and effect. Like if we're bargaining about a car, like, I'm committed to paying the price that you're willing to sell it for or us going our separate ways. But there's no issue of trying to escape cause and effect. And so there's no problem of compromise there. But now there's a deeper analysis that Leonard gives that I think is really profound, really important, and yet I think often misunderstood. And that is, you could put it this way, principles are inescapable. And so what a compromiser is really doing isn't rejecting principles or making exceptions to a principle it's that he's acting on a different principle and the way to think about this is is that he is grounds for why he is compromising in a given instance so if a person says yeah i'm going to be independent except for sometimes when an issue is really controversial i'm going to do what the group thinks is right well there that's his grounds his grounds for his actions are whenever there's an issue that the group 
thinks is right, that, that reaches a certain level of importance, then that's what I'm going to do. Or if you think about the judge that Leonard talks about, he has grounds for why he's going to engage in favoritism. It's because, well, the bosses want a particular outcome in a particular instance. And so objectivism's view is that when you're compromising in favor of an evil principle, what you're really doing is saying those grounds rule. And so if you take, you know, be independent, but conform on highly controversial issues, that your 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 grounds are that I'm going to act in accordance with conformity. And, conf- and, you, and conformity doesn't mean conform on every single thing, never have an independent thought, be like a total zero, like a Peter Keating, who even, by the way, takes some kind of independent actions. Uh, or it's be just unless there's favoritism. It's I'm going to be ruled by the, favor, by the principle of favoritism because favoritism does not mean make every case based on the boss's want. It's no, you, the, the whole issue is the bosses are going to say, no, go and have a bunch of just cases. But when we call in our favor, you better bend to it. Like that's what favoritism is. And the issue why there's this imbalance between um, when you seem to be compromising between principles, you're really embracing the evil side of that compromise is precisely because, and Leonard explains this in depth, it's that evil principles don't demand consistency. On the contrary, they can't demand consistency. They don't want consistency. They want to be able to operate as parasites to inject themselves at will, or you could put it at whim, as trump cards. And so it's the whole idea of evil principles are saying not obey me consistently, but it's we're we have trump power uh no pun intended and so to take another example that i think makes this really clear we talked about leonard's comments on altruism where he said that altruism doesn't demand consistency consistent altruism consistent self-sacrifice would mean basically instant suicide that what altruists want is not for you to every moment consistently sacrifice your welfare no it's go earn a living you know buy a house you can have a family you can drive a car but whenever we want to whenever we call in a favor whenever we demand obedience whenever we demand a sacrifice that has the that's the trump card you have to obey that it's in any conflict between our demands for sacrifices and your desire for happiness it's our desires for our demands for sacrifice that win out and therefore altruism is the ruling principle and again it's it's because it's an evil principle it's at odds with life it doesn't and can't demand consistency what it demands is trump power now one common misunderstanding here is that if you fail to follow a principle, you're embracing the opposite principle. And if you think that Leonard said this, it's reread Opar carefully because he didn't. I, I didn't make note of the exact passage. But um, if you fail to tell the truth, like if you if you if you tell a lie, Leonard's point is not that now you're on the principle of dishonesty, because take seriously what that means. Um, on the principle of honesty would mean you're using that as your grounds. Like I'm, I'm governing my choices 
by the goal of dishonesty. And so, yeah, for a pathological liar, that might be true, but I mean, that's super rare. More likely, your ruling principle is something like whim worship or conformity. It's, it's something else that is leading to the dishonesty, some other principle other than honesty that's ruling you. And so, again, the issue is always if you're trying to identify what principle a person is in the grips of or acting on, you have to actually look at them. And in particular, as we've indicated, you're looking at the grounds, usually implicit, on which they took that action, in which they took the action that that is either um, appears as or they're even claiming is a, just a compromise on a rational moral principle. And so it's even possible for a person to, let's say, tell a lie and not to be rejecting the principle of honesty. So if you take white lies, for instance, it's possible for a person to just not understand the issue. As we'll see when we get to honesty in the next section, from the objectivist perspective, if you really get what the principle is, that it's a rejection of unreality, then you see white lies are just a form of faking reality. But that's really, that can be tricky to see. And so a person can, I think, very easily engage in white lies and not see that there's a real moral issue here. And so you wouldn't say, oh, well, they're rejecting the principle of honesty. Or even take something that is not a kind of 100% air of knowledge in the same way. Take a like really trivial lie. So a wife goes to the grocery store. She has something she's supposed to buy for her husband. She doesn't see it there. And when she gets home, he says, well, did you ask anybody if they had it? And she goes, yeah, they, they said they didn't have it. And th that's not true. She just didn't look and, you know, maybe wanted to avoid an argument or whatever. Um, that is not the kind of thing where you'd say, oh, she's rejected the principle of honesty and not that itself. We're talking about like a characteristically honest person. And I mean, usually, I mean, it's dumb. You don't do that, but it doesn't mean that she's embraced an evil principle of whim worship or anything like that. A principle, remember, it's a fundamental governing your action, your thought and your action over time. It has to really be bearing in your choices. It has to be something characteristic about you. And so the, the, and what often happens is people who tell those kind of like spontaneous, like minor lies, um, often it will be, they'll catch themselves later and even, you know, come back to their spouse and say, yeah, I don't know why I said that. Uh, I didn't ask anybody. I, I guess I was just trying to avoid a fight. And um, like, that is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is somebody who's driven by an, a, contrary principle that they're actually rejecting honesty in favor of something else that there's grounds that they recognize in some form as coming above honesty and it's not an issue though quantity isn't irrelevant it's not an issue of quantity because you know there are some actions that are so wicked that even a single instance reflects a kind of a certain kind of character that you would be able to kind of commit that immorality so i mean if you take the i mean to just take a you know real life example you know somebody who like cheats on their spouse and doesn't tell them right away like 
all right, now you're talking about something where even that single action reflects, no, I'm not treating honesty as a principle. I've embraced some other grounds that are acting as a trump card for my behavior. And this this is how Leonard puts this point that I think is a really memorable, eloquent paragraph. He says, the power of the good is enormous, but it depends, but depends on its consistency. That is why the good has to be an issue of all or nothing, black or white, and why evil has to be partial, occasional, gray. Observe that a liar in in common parlance is not a man who always conscientiously tells falsehoods. There is no such creature. For the term you apply to a person, a few whoppers on his part is enough. Just as a hypocrite, is not a man who scrupulously betrays every idea he holds, just as a burglar is not a man who steals every item of property he sees, just as a person is a killer if he respects human life 99.9% of the time and hires himself out to the mafia as an executioner only now and then. And then he goes on to say, to be evil only sometimes is to be evil. To be good is to be good only all of the time, i.e. as a matter of consistent, unbreached principle. And you might think there's a certain conflict between what I just said um, and Leonard's quote, but he chooses his words carefully. It's to be evil only sometimes is to be evil. It's not like one kind of minor trivial immorality and now you're Hitler. Um, it's, But by the same token, to be good is not to settle for even a little bit of the bad. It's that what morality is saying is that you need to strive to learn more and more about what's moral, not just settling for, oh, I didn't know white lies were, you know, really can't, how to think about them as part of the virtue of honesty. No, it's I want to learn about that. I, I'm glad that I know that white lies uh, are detrimental in the same way that other lies are. So you're striving to learn more and more about morality. You're striving to be consistent with it. And if you do fail in a given instance, you try to correct it. And and I think integrity allows us to see what it means to correct it. It's that you're striving to restore unity, unity between your thought and your action. And so part of what that means is to do exactly what the moral compromiser strives not to do, which is you embrace causality. It's you you try to say, no, I'm not going to seek effects without causes or causes without effects. And this is why, like, when we get to justice, we'll talk more about that. But in the realm of forgiveness, um, it's from the perspective of justice, you know, you're you're willing to forgive a person in part. They have to um, provide restitution. But if you think about it from the perspective, not of forgiveness, but as, um, you know, redemption, It's the person who's seeking redemption, who's trying to achieve unity in thought and action. Part of them is forswearing. No, I don't want causes without effects and effects without causes anymore. So it's like I want to give restitution because I don't want uh, to, quote, profit from my immorality. So another way to put this is i'm accepting full responsibility for the consequences of my actions i want nothing more nothing less than i deserve i'm committed to the virtue of integrity so then let's end with a few thoughts on cultivating integrity and i just have a couple on this one and 
just as a general point, I'm really interested in anybody who's listening. I'm interested in your thoughts on how to cultivate any of these virtues. I think there's just so much room for really providing a lot of guidance to people on how to make these part of your life. But I'll start with one mistake I think people make is that to practice integrity is just to bring in the abstraction, like name the principle and say, okay, obey this. But we have to remember that a principle if it's really a principle in your mind, is a condensation of a wealth of knowledge. And what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to bring that wealth of knowledge to bear when you're making a decision. So it's when facing a decision, I don't think it's right. The right question to ask yourself is, well, what do my principles say? I think a better question, though it amounts to the same thing, but I think it activates more what we're going for here is, what do I know that's relevant to this decision? So if I'm trying to decide who to vote for, it's not, well, I have the principle of individual rights or something like that. It's, and the Republicans talk more about individual rights than the Democrats. It's, it's nothing like that. It's what principles should govern voting? What do I know about, uh, what's about how to make decisions about voting? And then it's, you have to do a lot of conceptual work about, all right, well, what do I know about, uh, current state of the parties? What do I know about the current state of the culture? What do I know about the particular candidates and their policies? Um, it's you're trying to bring in a wealth of knowledge. And that's really what integrity is saying is that you're, you're trying to activate as much knowledge as you can and, and above all principles, which are, you know, fundamental causal truths. And you to take another example right it's um i want a good marriage it's not well my principles ch tell me to choose a hero or something it's what do i know about what's relevant to a good marriage and you might think i actually don't know that much and so i need to start forming principles of successful romantic relationships and so maybe for instance i should like look up well why do couples get divorced and what things do they talk about as Oh, these are things that I could have spotted when making a decision about a partner, or these are ways that we went about trying to resolve conflicts that didn't work. And then what do successful couples do? It's that you're actively looking for principles. That is, you're actively trying to gain knowledge and bring that knowledge to bear. And so the, the overarching point here is that principles should really be to, to, you want them to function as principles, not to function as dogmas. And so if you're at all, so, I mean, one thing is just, we've covered a lot in this course about the way in which we can form first-handed principles and avoid kind of rationalistic dogmas, but it's the more that you can do that, the better. And then it's in bringing them to bear, what you're trying to bring to bear is all of that knowledge that they're condensing and more broadly, what you're trying to do is bring your conceptual knowledge to bear on the kinds of decisions that you're making and that that will often involve a lot of thought. It's not automatic that you can just read off what is the right decision from the principle. It's not just, um, okay, I have to make a decision. My principle is honesty. Honesty says don't fake reality. No, you're trying to bring to bear 
that whole way of looking at things that the principle condenses and encapsulates and not just a single principle usually often there'll be multiple principles involved or at least you have to think about well what really are all the principles involved and is honesty the central issue here is there some other principle that's relevant to this kind of decision then the final point i'll make is that um, write out your reasons for your decisions so this is something i learned from ray dalio who's an investor who has a lot of dubious macroeconomic views, but a very intelligent investor. He has a book, Principles, which I didn't finish, but I, the parts I read, I thought overall had a lot of really good stuff. But one of the things that Ray always did is that whenever he was making a decision, he wrote out in clear terms exactly what his reasoning was. And so first of all, this forced him to really refine his reasoning and think, okay, do I really know why I'm doing what I'm doing? And then it allowed him to see, all right, well, how did that work out? Did that really make sense? It, did it, uh, it lead to success? And if not, why not? Did I get the principle wrong? Did I get some facts wrong? Um, did I get the formulation of the principle wrong? Which is not uncommon. So you have, a, you, you kind of are groping for the right principle. Remember the example I gave on kind of like eating healthy, um, formulating the right principle in exactly the right way it can be really challenging in something like that sphere so it's the more that you can write out and have objectively like this is why i'm doing what i'm doing this is the principle this is how i'm thinking about it it gives you a real power to refine your thinking over time and better practice the method of integrity and then precisely because integrity is about bringing your conceptual knowledge to bear by writing it down you're necessarily on the track of bringing your knowledge to bear and it becomes much harder to uh let's say continue with temptation if the full context is right there on the page in front of you rather than just kind of like vaguely bouncing around your head so hopefully those are helpful be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel like this video and as always visit donswriting.com and sign up for the newsletter to stay in touch Talk next time.